All right, like I said, we, we're going to go through eschatology. There's going to be different views, and we all kind of land in different camps. Like I, my, my, my understanding is eschatology is slightly different from PT, slightly different from Hanley, um, and yet we all still work together here at the same church. And we, we, we can all have differences as long as we're not being heretical with our views. We can all still come together and look upon this differently and understand it. Now, because I hold a certain view, the way I can best explain my position, and so if I mess up another position that you know maybe PT holds, uh, I could like explain it better later or something like that. Any case, Revelation is difficult because we need to talk about everything that the Bible covers. I've been saying this over and over again in our sermons, and we need to cover a lot of stuff here. And so one thing we need to do is we need to trace through the history of the Bible. And so here's a general kind of outline of what the Bible is about. Right? We, we, we see here that the Bible is, is not just a book that's filled with spiritual proverbs and stories. It's not just something that we say, oh, that's a nice teaching. We get a nice moral out of it. This is actual real history. Right, the Bible contains an actual, real, historical account. And so this is a general perspective. I'm just kind of, kind of giving you different topics, and we'll see how these different topics fit within the different views of eschatology. But we have in the Old Testament, Israel. Israel is front and center, right? The, the Genesis is about how Israel came about, the origin. Or really the origin is everything, but there's a focus on Israel, right? Abraham. And then so on. And throughout the rest of the Old Testament, the focus of who God's people is, is Israel. Then come the New Testament, after Jesus comes into the world, after his death and resurrection, the church was born. And some will argue that the church in Israel now become one people. The church replaces Israel. That's okay. I'm just putting both there so you guys see it. All right? So the church is born in the New Testament. We call that the church. And then that covers most of the New Testament. And then we reach Revelation. The Revelation starts the end times. Or some will argue it doesn't. Some will argue it actually talk about the present time. But in Revelation, we come across three different topics. We, cover, we, we come across the tribulation period, the millennial kingdom, the new creation. And in these, and in these three topics, we'll see how different scholars, different different biblical commentators come to different views and places about how this fits within the story of God, within the plan of God. The tribulation period is detailed in Revelation chapter 6 to 19. If you guys have been following our series, we just finished chapter 5. We're now going to chapter 6. This is why I'm covering this topic now. So tribulation period is covered in Revelation 6 to 19. Um, and we will argue that this is also the same as the seven-year period that's Detailed in Daniel, Old Testament Daniel chapter 9. And the major question about the tribulation is this Is it happening right now, or is this a future period of time that's yet to come? The millennial kingdom talked about in Revelation chapter 20. And in, Re in, in, in the millennial kingdom, in chapter 20 of Revelation, we see that Satan is bound, Christ returns, he reigns the saints. And again, this, the, the major question about the Millennium Kingdom is, is it happening now, or is this a future period? And then we come to new creation, which most scholars, almost all scholars agree that this is the future. 
new creation, talked about in Revelation 21, the very last chapter of the Bible. And this is where everything is made new. And while everyone agrees that this is a future time, there is a, there is a question whether or not this is symbolic or literal new creation. And so this kind of talks to you, and we'll get more into details about these topics as we cover them in our in our series. I want you guys an overview of what we're going to see, starting with Revelation chapter six, going on to the end of the book, and we're going to come across the the more important the important topic that we need to look at is the millennial kingdom. And we want to ask ourselves, what exactly is the millennial kingdom? What does it cover? Why don't you take your Bible, turn to Revelation chapter twenty? Let's go and just read it. Spirals. Kill us. <laughs> Kill us. Okay, spider part of the new creation dude. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, when we talk about creation, I think the only the only the only I guess insect that I think doesn't belong in the creation is, is mosquitoes. <laughs> but spiders are active. These, but yeah, well, see, spiders have a point. They actually, you know, they kill insects. They kill mosquitoes for no purpose. <laughs> but mosquitoes have no purpose. What? I don't know. Well, we'll, we'll I don't know. I will not cover that. All right. <laughs> Revelation chapter 20. Let me go ahead and just read this passage for us. Um, oh, I'll just read the whole thing just so we get an understanding of what, what's going to be talked about here. Let's go ahead and read Revelation chapter 20. Fall on your eyes. Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, holding in his hand the key to the bottomless pit in a great chain. And he seized the dragon, that ancient serpent, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years, and threw him into the pit, and shut it, and sealed it over him, so that he might not receive the nations any longer, until the thousand years were ended. After that, he must be released for a little while. Then I saw thrones, and seated on them are those who, to whom the authority to judge are committed. Also, I saw the souls of those who have been beheaded for the testimony of Jesus and for the word of God, and those who had not worshipped the beast or its image, and had not received its mark on, on their foreheads or their hands. They came to life, and they reigned with Christ for a thousand years. The rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were ended. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is the, is the one who shares in the first resurrection. Over such, the second death has no power, but they will be priests of God in the flesh, and they will reign with them for a thousand years. Verse 7. And when the thousand years ended, Satan will be released from his prison and will come out to deceive the nations that are at the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them for their battle. Their number is like the sand of the sea. And they march over, they march up over the broad plain of the earth and surround the camp of the saints in the beloved city. But fire came down from heaven and consumed them. The devil who had deceived them was thrown into a lake of fire and sulfur where the beast and the false prophet were, and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Verse 11. Then I saw a great white throne, and him who was seated on it. From his presence, earth and sky fled away, and no place was found for them. 
And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and the books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books, according to what they had done. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them, and they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's names were not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into fire. There are a few concepts here in Revelation 20. And again, we'll cover this more in detail. I can preach this passage later on and we'll get more application out of it. I want you guys to see some concepts here. First, we see that Satan is bound, right? Verses 1 to 3, Satan is bound and he's, and he's no longer allowed to deceive the nations. And then after that, we get what we call the first resurrection. And in this passage, we see two resurrections, right? The first resurrection are those who come to life and they reign with Christ for a thousand years. Right? That's the end of verse 4. Christ they reign for a thousand years, and then you see that Christ reigns for a thousand years. That's just where the millennium, the, the term comes from, the millennial kingdom, the thousand-year reign. And then it says here the second resurrection, verse 5, that the rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were ended. You see here the second resurrection. And then in verse 7, and we see that after this reign, after this thousand years, Satan is released and he, and he causes a war to happen. But Satan is defeated and thrown into the lake of fire. And then starting in verse 11, we see what we call the great white throne judgment. And this is the final judgment. The judgment for all people who have ever lived, ever existed, everybody will face this judgment. And those who did not believe in Christ will be judged for their sins and thrown into the lake of fire as well. And so we get here these different categories, and every view that we'll cover deals with these categories differently. So I want us to see this. I want to see is that we're dealing here with the sacred being bound. We're talking about 1,000 years. We're talking about two resurrections. Then we're talking about Satan being released and then the great white throne judgment. Now, what are the different views? The first thing we're going to look at is the premillennial view, premillennialism. And this is the view that most of us take, um, that I would take, that how many people would take, though we differ in different nuances of it. But premillennialism understands this. I guess, and let me go through the basics before I go through the nuances. Nuances get kind of crazy. Um, but maybe just go through the pages. And another premillennial view looks at this literally. Right? That's, that's kind of the more general process. Some, some, some of them don't really take it super literally, but again, I don't get into the nuances of it. But in, for the most part, we take it literally that this is a 1,000 year reign. Right? And so what we see here is that we see that there's a church age going on that's going on right now. Then there will be a tribulation. And we believe this to be a seven-year tribulation. Then there'll be a literal 1,000 years millennial kingdom, and then a new creation. So we see this all happening in order. This this is this going sequence, right? Church age to the seven-year tribulation, millennial kingdom, and the new creation. Now, what does a pre mean? 
Well, the pre means that we believe the second coming of Christ will come before the millennial kingdom happens. That's, that's pre-millennial view. It's saying that Christ, the second coming of Christ, Christ will come back, Satan is bound right before the millennial kingdom happens. This is happening before this, right? Now, when we say this, we also believe that Christ will actually literally come down and physically reign here on earth. He'll physically reign here on earth. This is a literal thing. This reign will be in earthly reign. New creation has happened yet, so this earth has not yet been destroyed. But Christ will reign here on this earth. The way we understand the two resurrections, the way pre-millennials understand the two resurrections, is that in the beginning of the millennial kingdom, there is what we call a believer's resurrection. And we who died, or we who will join Christ in the millennial kingdom, if we didn't die, if we come soon, we would just, every, all the saints, will join Christ in this earthly reign. Some of them will be resurrected, and others will go through the seven-year tribulation and enter in you know, with Christ. So this will be the first resurrection. The second resurrection is what we will call the unbelievers resurrection. And this is the unbelievers will be resurrected in order to get judged by the great white throne judgment. And so they will face Judgment. Now, there are two, like I mentioned, there are two different views of premillennial. Dispensational view takes this all very, very literal. This is going to be a literal seven years. It's going to be a literal thousand years. And so all this is saying that they, they understand this. They understand this. When you read the Revelation, it, this, is, this is clear. We just take it for what it says. Now, the reason, one way, when you say that, when you put it that way, though, we said this would this is what will happen. They believe that the Israel and church have two different plans. Well, we say, they, they say there's God has one plan for mankind, one plan of salvation, but he has two programs: one for Israel and one for the church. And they will argue that Israel will go through most of the tribulation. The tribulation is meant for Israel. The church that their pre-trib will say a rapture. They say they say that they will rapture already. The church is already gone, so they won't go through. They won't go through that. This I'm talking about more. This is what the general dispensational criminal criminal believe in, right? And so they see two different programs. One people God, two different programs. One plan, two programs, and they see them. They see that Israel and the church are distinct people. They're distinct people. And so this is the position that I I typically lean towards. I'm not, I'm not all the way into your camp. I call myself progressive dispensationalist. So I'm not all the way in there, but I lean towards this understanding of eschatology. That Israel and the church are indeed two different groups of people within the same bigger category of people God. Two different programs. For, for the people. Now, historical, historical premillennialism, which I believe is where P.P. and Haley fall into. Um, they, they see this first and foremost that 
Church and Israel are one people. They're one people of God. They will see as different programs that the church is now spiritually Israel. So all the promises given to Israel are now belongs to the church. And, and because there's, there's more of a spiritual aspect, they can, some historical criminals believe that some aspects of the tribulation might be happening today. Right? And so it doesn't, they don't take necessarily the numbers that seriously. There's, they do believe this is, there's still a future period of the tribulation, future period of the millennial reign here on earth and all that. But they, they also see it that you don't have to take numbers so seriously. Seven years doesn't have to be seven years, thousand years doesn't have to be thousand years. But some do, some then take it very seriously. And so there's a different, again, different nuances even within these categories. All right. If I mess up on explaining that, PT can cover it next time you read this. Um, in any case, this is this is premillennialism. This is where most of us fall into. Uh, whether or not you're dispensational historical, it doesn't really matter. Um, again, I lean more towards dispensationalism. I was talking to Harry earlier this week, and he was trying to, I think he was trying to convince him to go historical, but well, <laughs> I don't know. Um, any, so, anyways, we have we have differences, but yet we all still believe in this. What's most important is that we do believe that this, when we read the Revelation, we read it literally. We understand there are symbols, yes, but we, we believe John saw what he saw. He heard what he heard, and the symbols of what he saw and heard could mean different things. And, you know, and we understand the kind of the overarching plan of God, how everything ends up at, what, what Revelation is talking about. Well, there's where the main differences lie. I see Israel and the church working as different separate programs within Revelation, while they will probably see one kingdom of God working. Revolution. But then we're going to cover the other views. Amillennialism. Uh, the prefix ah means not, no, millennial. Not really a good term to talk about this, but it is what it is. Amillennialism, uh, what they believe here is that they believe that right now, that currently, we all agree, right now it's the church age, but they see that the millennial kingdom in the tribulation are also happening right now at the same time. So they, they say this, that revelation is pretty much very symbolic. It's a, they, in a sense, they spiritualize it. Nothing heretical in that. But when they read through something like the six seals or uh, seven seals that we will cover in chapter six, they see that's happening today. That these seals are happening right now. And you could read it that way, right? One, for instance, if I, you guys turn me to Revelation six, let me just take a look at the first seal, right? Revelation chapter 6, verse 1. It says here, Now I watch when the Lamb opens one of the seven seals, and I heard one of the four living creatures say with a voice like thunder, Come! And I looked and behold a white horse, and his rider had a bowl, and a crown was given to him, and he came out conquering and to conquer. And so you can take a look at the seal and you can say, Okay, perhaps this seal, this white horse, and this rider is a conqueror, Who's conquering the nations? And we can say, we can look around, we're like, well, maybe China's conquering the world. Maybe it's not even a nation. Maybe it's Amazon taking over the world, right? or whatever it is. You know, it's, we, 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 can, we can interpret it that way, right? And maybe happening right now. And so, nothing wrong with that particular read, but, but this is what all the little, when they read the Revelation, they see it a lot more symbolic. Right? The tribulation and the little kingdom is happening right now. So, in the little kingdom, then, 
What does that mean? It means that Jesus Christ is reigning from heaven. And he's reigning through his church. He's reigning in your life right now. And we say, amen. That's true. But is that what Revelation is talking about? That's where we disagree. Right? Well, yes, we agree. Jesus is reigning right now. But they argue Revelation chapter 20 is talking about Jesus' present reign. And that's where we may disagree. But they say that the millennial reign is going on right now, and so they say the thousand years is metaphorical. It's just symbols. You need to take a thousand years literally. The, the rule of Christ, the reign of Christ began with the cross. It began with the cross. And at the cross, when Jesus died, they still argue that this is when Satan was down. Satan now cannot stop the gospel, which again is true. But is that what Revelation is talking about? And so they will argue that Satan right now is bound. And, and so Satan's power is limited because the cross is happening. And Jesus is right now reigning because he resurrected. Right? He resurrected with heaven. And he's reigning from heaven. We have passages that tell us this. Satan is bound. And, and because they view things this way, the way they will argue the true resurrection, the way they see that is that. Sorry, second coming is again um, after all of this happens, right before a new creation, Jesus will come back, new creation happens, break by throne happens at the same time as Jesus' second coming. So they'll argue that the first resurrection is spiritual resurrection. It's what we all experience when we proclaim Christ as Lord and Savior. We've all been, in a sense, spiritually resurrected. And that is the first resurrection. And in the second resurrection, Will be a physical one that happens in the second coming. When Jesus comes back, when we create here, when we get our glorified bodies, and that will be the second resurrection. So that's how they argue what Revelation is about. You see that it's taken a lot more metaphorically, but again, nothing heretical for this. Right? We haven't heard anything that's like, oh, hey, we need to watch out for what they teach. We see here that is the way they interpret Revelation is different. Here's a third view. This one, I think, is a little bit more whack. I would be a little more careful with this one. Um, but again, there are good biblical postmillennials. So don't want to, you know, suddenly put everyone into one box. But postmillennialism, on similar lines of Onville, will see that the middle kingdom and tribulation are happening at the same time. They're happening. Now, the word post means, as compared to pre-mill, post-mill means that Christ will return after, after the millennial kingdom. Now, how does that work? Well, they, they agree that the cross happened, and at the cross, they see here that the tribulation will be happening, and Satan again is bound at the cross. But what where they differ from Amil is that they believe that as the gospel goes out, and is proclaimed to this earth, humanity in this world will get better, will improve morally, that evil will slowly decline and good will increase. And so they believe that the present age will develop and will move. I'm sorry, all you have around saying spiritual resurrection, um, physical resurrection, second coming, again, post no second coming, coming, coming after millennium. But they believe that the church age will progress into this golden age. Right? The church fulfills its great commission, spreads the gospel, the church does its duty by 
helping the needy, helping the poor, by, by going out and reaching to those who are broken, to those who are needy. Slowly we see society, the world society, change and transform. And so those who are post-mill tend to focus a lot more on social transformation. This we get to see a huge emphasis of social justice and things like that. They believe that the church can make a deep impact in improving this world right now, present. And so, yeah, there still be a future resurrection judgment, but they believe that the church age will reach the golden age. And whoops. And this is, and at the golden age, this is kind of where the millennial reign was described here, where Christ reigns and everyone is worshiping him and, and evil is now diminished and gone. Slowly, everything will just go into then the new creation as well. And so, the difference between post-mill and on-mill is. That Ono believes that it sees the world and says there's evil everywhere. We need a new creation. That will happen when Jesus comes back. But post mill, they will say, no, we can make a difference in this world by sharing the gospel and continue to do justice and mercy with the people around us. And there's nothing wrong with sharing the gospel and showing justice and mercy to people around us, right? Again, we don't we don't condemn them right away. But I would be slightly careful just around this, just because when I when we honestly look at the world, right? Post mill was around for a while, and then one thing made it like undermine its argument a lot, which was World War World World War One. When that happened, people saw the world is not getting better, and it undermined it. But after uh, World War Two, uh, post mill started getting back on the rise, and now there's a lot more churches that. And teach this view. It's kind of showing us a little bit of the history of what, what we see here, but um, I don't know. When I look around the world, I still see evil everywhere. And so that's why it's hard for me to follow this on itself. Again, one the understanding, you want to listen to everyone's different views. So that's what's going on here. All right. So hopefully that helps you guys kind of see even kind of what Revelation is about. Right? We're covering a lot of this overview of Revelation here. Let me now go into raptures. Talk about the rapture. So we just now focus on the millennial kingdom. When does that happen? Is it is it literal? Is it is it present right now? Is it physical? Is it spiritual? Uh, when does the second coming happen? When does Satan bound all that? Now let's take a look at raptures. Turn with me to First Thessalonians. First Thessalonians chapter four, verses thirteen to seventeen. And we'll see here probably the, the clearest teaching about what the rapture is, why we believe in the rapture. It says here, but we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not perceive those who have fallen asleep. Fallen to fear means those who have passed away. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, and the voice of the heart, with the voice of an archangel, the sound of, a trump, of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. 
then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. This passage here talks about what happens during the rapture. The dead will rise, and those who are alive will rise with the dead, and they will greet the Lord Jesus Christ in the air. Better. Now, the question here, question is, who will, who will be raptured? Is it, we're talking about all the saints, we're talking about all those who believe, including Israel, including those in the Old Testament, everyone all together, or are we just talking about the church? Another question about the rapture is, is the second coming, the coming of Christ that he will come back. Is the same coming in the rapture the same event or the different events? And then we want to ask a bigger theological question what is the day of the Lord and what is the rapture God? Now, let me show you why we care about these things. The first thing we're going to cover is pre tribulation. So, this is revolving around the seven year tribulation, around whether or not the rapture happens before, after, or in the middle of the tribulation. However, that's, that's, that's kind of questions that we're asking about here. And the implication about all this is, tells us, if you believe the rapture happens before the tribulation, that means when you read through Revelation, chapter 6 through 19, the church is not there. Right? So who is, what is Revelation talking about? But if it happens after, then perhaps all the trials and hardships that's described in Revelation happens through the church. Happens maybe to us. Anyways, pre pre-tribulation. So this says that the rapture will happen before the tribulation. So what happened here? And the argument here is that the church will be raptured. It is the church that will be raptured? Is that, in other words, it will be the believers after the day of Pentecost. That's right in that. When the church was born. And they will say that Revelation, uh, Revelation chapter 6 to 19, Daniel chapter 9, the seven-year tribulation was meant for Israel. And, and so we see here that Israel will go through, Israel will, will become a nation again, and it will go through this tribulation. And the reason why it will go through this tribulation is because there's promises in the Old Testament that Israel will go through tribulation. And so God's fulfilling his promises there. That's their argument. And they will say that this year, this whole tribulation period, is the day of the Lord is not a single day, but it describes this whole period. The wrath of God describes this whole period. When he talks about this coming wrath of God, it's about this whole period of tribulation. All of it consuming this final wrath that comes down in Revelation chapter 19. So, that means they will also say, those who are preaching, they will say that the rapture and the second coming are different events. Right? And so when we read here in 1 Thessalonians, right, we read here that the Lord himself will descend from heaven, that the Lord will come. But this coming the Lord here in 1 Thessalonians, chapter 4, they'll argue, is not the second coming. This is simply just the rapture. The Lord is coming to gather his saints. But his actual second coming will come after the tribulation. But that's how preachers will read first Thessalonians. That's what most people believe, or don't, this is this is what most people who are 
free mill will believe in. I actually don't hold this stance, even though my seminary I don't think teaches this stance. And I will show you what I what I hold to later. So this pre this pre-tribulation rapture, post-trib. This is where Hanley stands. I actually don't really know where PJ stands, but this is where Hanley stands. And he believes that the rapture will happen after the tribulation, right? Post-trib say that the rapture will happen after the tribulation. So again, same kind of timeline. But the argument here is that Israel and the church, both Israel and the church, meaning all people of God alive at that time, will go through tribulation. So the church will go through this tribulation period. What was promised into Israel about tribulation, now the church, the church will fulfill that. So this tribulation will happen to all. And then at the end of tribulation, all believers will be raptured. All believers will be raptured. And then right after they're raptured, immediately at the same time, the same event, the second coming happens. They'll come back to earth and they'll reign with Christ. Again, Revelation chapter 20 says that the dead will rise the first resurrection and they will reign with Christ. And so the argument here is that the believers will be raptured and they'll return back to earth and they will reign with Christ in the millennial kingdom. Right. And so this year is post-tribulation. Post-tribulation. And so they will argue here that the church in Israel are not distinct. And the reason why they hold to this is because there's passages throughout scripture that says the church won't be persecuted. The church will go through trials. The church will go through suffering. The church will face this antichrist that was that's described in Revelation. But this is all going to happen. Be prepared for it. That's what many scripture passages tell us the church to do. Be prepared for this. And so the rapture happens as well as happening. Why are these warning passages in scripture for the church? And so they say the rapture happens after the tribulation. So, so that's that. And so they'll argue that the day of the Lord, the wrath of God, happens here on this time. And so what that means is that on the second coming, on the second coming of Christ, when the believers are raptured, there is this final judgment on the Lord. And we, and we are we are spared from that. The church is spared from that. There is this final wrath of God, this day of the Lord that happens. All right, mid tribulation. And this is kind of this is where I tend to lean forward. Mid tribulation. Again, same type of timeline. But here we're talking, we, we emphasize, or mid tribulation emphasizes that 3.5 years matter. Right? If you guys remember our Daniel chapter 9, there is this halfway point that was emphasized. In the 70th week of Daniel, 3.5 years, and it's talked about in Revelation as well, 3.5 years. So they split it apart. Right? And so they say that because of this, the church then, the church then is indeed promised to go through tribulation, but they only go through it for three and a half years. Israel and the church will go through tribulation for three and a half years, and then they will be raptured in the middle. And this is when the Antichrist becomes revealed, and now there is this wrath, this great tribulation that happens for the second half of this period. This is where mid will say, This is the day of the Lord, the wrath of God, 
specifying really the second half of the tribulation. So here we see Israel and the church, they will say they are saved. Now, I did argue that I think Israel and the church are saved, but I also believe both of them will go through this tribulation. Again, I can go more here. There's so much you can cover. I can just cover it as best as I can. So that's that's this. Um, is it more? Oh, there is second coming. Uh, again, second coming always comes in afterwards. So this is where, regardless of what position you hold, most people would say second coming happens right before the millennial kingdom. Again, this assuming we all hold a pre-millennial view of this timeline. So trying to put it all together here. Um, we hear we see that there's so many different things. Now let me let me let me end this message with why this is important. This is important because it tells us how we should study Revelation. What position you hold informs how you're going to study Revelation. When we, when we see here John describing everything he sees in Revelation, we have to ask ourselves: is John talking about the past, talking about the present, or talking about the future? What exactly are all these things I see mean? What are these symbols for? Based on how you understand this eschatological timeline will determine how you understand what you read in Revelation. That's what's important. Secondly, it, it helps, we have, to understand, we have to ask ourselves, what are these people in Revelation that John is talking about, that John sees? Right? In, John, in Revelation chapter 7, it says here, John sees a multitude of nations, people who are worshiping God. Is this the church? Is this Israel? Are they raptured already? Are they on earth doing this? These are the way you interpret this is not based on context because the context actually doesn't really tell us. It's through what view you hold. And that requires the rest of scripture for you to help you form that understanding, help you form this type of interpretation. And so what 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 are the people in Revelation that John sees? Is it the church? Is it Israel or is it everyone? And then this is part of a personal application. Because the way you understand the future dictates how we act presently. And this is true for all of us. All of us we live our lives dictated by how we think about the future, regardless of when we're thinking about revelation or not. I'm sure we don't wake up every day to think about revelation, right? But but the future does dictate our everyday behavior, right? If if you are one person who are driven, right? You're driven by a certain goal. Maybe you you want to just land a good job and be set for life. You're going to work super hard in college, trying to get a grad school, trying to get that high paying position. Right? If you're, if you're aiming to be a doctor, you know what you have to go through. There's a lot of years to study. Or maybe you're aiming for early retirement. So it's not even about school. It's about making sure you earn as much money as you can in your 20s so you can retire by the time you're 40. Right? And so you're, you're, you're driven by your goals. And if you're one person who doesn't care about your future, whatever, like, you know, whatever happens, happens, most likely you're going to be like that today. You don't just see whatever about your life. Because you don't really see, you don't have a goal. 
You see how our future dictates the way we are presently? In the same way, how you understand revelation dictates what you think about your Christian walk. Second point up here says that eschatology informed our understanding of the church today. Right, we understand that the church here has a role, has a purpose here. We all have a purpose as believers. Believers are God's here today. And as I shared before, you're a post mill. We see the earth as getting better, but the church, the church has to do that to make this world better. And you'll believe that the church has to do everything you can to do missions, do social work, to, to reach out, to make sure we, we, we solve every injustice out there, to show mercy to every person. And again, these are all good things, but it's all about the purpose of the church, or is, or is it not? If you believe that the church in Israel are separate, and you hold that they have different plans and programs, then your, your focus will be on, well, the church is given a plan. And the plan is the Great Commission. And we need to do that. That should be our focus, discipleship. That becomes the primary purpose of the church. And the way you live that out can be determined by how you view this, how you understand your future. Understand whether or not there's a future coming, whether or not there's a future rapture or not. Right? And things like that. This will determine how you live out the purpose of your life as a Christian. This all goes into the importance of evangelism and mission today. And, and when we talk about missions and evangelism, we talk to different mission agencies, you, you talk about their doctrine of faith. One thing I will, I will always be interested in is what's the methodology? Because that will determine how they think about missions and what they view in the mission field. What do they think about evangelism? What's the purpose of that? Is it simply just to go into another country where they may be poor in their world country to help them get better? Or is there a purpose actually sharing the gospel inside from them? What is it? And usually that's dictated by how they understand this at home. How they're doing that. And we don't see that unless we understand this ourselves. And so, and so eschatology points into evangelism and missions as well. And well. Why do we do these things? Why do you evangelize? Why do you missions? And so that's one of the one of the weaknesses of premillennialism is that if this is all in the future and we're all going to be a rapture, why do we need missions? Like, what's the purpose of it? And we, we need to wrestle with those kind of questions. Wrestle with it and, 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 and have an understanding of these truths. So our future, the way we understand our future, dictates our bread and life. And so as we go through Revelation, and we're going to cover, and we're, as we preach through this, we'll preach according, you know, maybe you will preach and we will preach according to how we understand it. But our application will be the same for you guys. To live for Christ, to endure in faith, to go out and spread the gospel. To be lights in this world. And how, how all that happens, how Revelation informs your life to do that, that's what's most important. And that's what we want to hold on to. At the end of the day, we want you to come to your own conviction about what Revelation is about. We want you to come to your own conviction about which view you might hold. And so, study it for yourself and ask questions. I'll be, I would love to point you to other passages because, again, Revelation understanding requires a whole Bible. So, I'll love to point you to other passages for you to study. You want to come to your own conviction. And if there's any questions from this, sorry, this is not a real sermon. Um, 
So there's more just I like a theology lesson. Uh, and hopefully, hopefully you guys can get all that. Again, if there's any questions, let me know. I'll be always glad to walk you. Next week when we come back, we'll cover Revelation chapter six and we'll preach it after the sermon. We're at earlier. I feel like every time I do a couple of sermons, there's there's less power because I'm not like showing you text and getting you in and giving you the right application. Um, it's kind of just me talking up here. Any case, um, thank you guys for bearing through this. Uh, if you guys need these slides, you guys want to see the diagrams again, uh, or you guys need more resources or other things to look at, again, I'm available to talk to you. Um, I will invite the worship team back up, sing this one last song. Let's go ahead and pray. Father, we thank you for your grace. We thank you, Lord, for um, your, your plan that's written out here in Scripture for us. And we thank you, God, that we are able to study your word, to wrestle with it. And I pray, Lord, that whatever we do with your word, we would not be too prideful about But what we do is we always submit to your word. We submit our lives to your word. And we apply it to our lives. We apply these truths to our lives. We live it out for you. We understand that our life is not our own. And when we proclaim you as Lord and Savior, our life belongs to you. So let us live our life for you. Let us worship you. Thank you, God, for this great plan that you have for us. Thank you, Lord, for saving us and calling us faithful and giving us this ministry of gospel. Let us go forth in this way. Let us treasure your word Go forth in the spirit. Be with us for the rest of the time. Pray all this in your name. Amen.